You're listening to The Spin Room on WGMU Radio. Listen to the great interviews. Is this Lieutenant Governor Ralph Northam on the phone? Hey, yes, Ralph, is this Eric? Yes, sir. Informative talks. A lot of protesting going on from a lot of different individuals. We just want to know what your take on that whole situation is right here. And find out ways to get involved on and off campus. We love, you know, we love all the help we're already getting from some great folks at GMU and would love to have more support there as well. Now to the show. Here's Alexis and Eric. And look. It's us. It's us. <laughs> Welcome back to the spin room, everybody. We have another guest. We're just chock full of the guests this semester. He is Mason's representative in the House, Congressman Jerry Connolly. Thank you for being here. Great to be with you guys. Just give us a little background about your political work and what your life as a public servant has been so far. Well, um, I actually got started here in Fairfax County uh, at the civic level. I was uh, involved in my uh, civic association, and we had a big environmental crisis I had to manage. And that kind of opened my eyes to how important local government is in terms of solving problems, because the only level of government that was really helpful to us in that crisis was uh, the local government, Fairfax Mm -hmm. County. So subsequently, I I uh, became the president of the Federation of All Civic Associations for the county and then won a special election to the Board of Supervisors in 1995. And then I uh, served in that capacity for nine years and then became chairman of the county. Uh, And I served in that capacity for five years and then ran for Congress and won. So uh, civic engagement is, I think, a great way to get your political chops. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some people come up just through the political, partisan political route. But I think that kind of limits your perspective sometimes. Mm-hmm. In terms of what my life is like, <laughs> uh, having Trump in the White House is a challenge every day, right? right. Uh, so you never know what you're going to wake up to. Uh, and uh, it's kind of a turbulent time, but it's also a time of opportunity for all of us to get organized and have our voices heard. Mm-hmm. And we're definitely going to talk more about midterms later and also just a lot of bit about the big policies but first we wanted to talk a bit more about your service as Fairfax County Board of Supervisors and really your rise from local politics starting from the ground up how did that experience shape how you viewed your constituents and also public service as a whole I think when you especially when you're in local government you know local government has an absolute accountability people know where you live they've got <laughs> your phone number they've got your email uh, they can knock on your door They know whether the pothole got filled or not. Mm. They know whether schools are performing or they're not. They know if the crime rate is up or down. So the accountability, in a sense, is absolute Mm. in a way that no other level of government offers. And I like that. And I like problem solving. So, you know, I I champion the silver line. I built libraries. Mm. Uh, You know, I, you know, uh, retrofitted schools. Um, I championed, you know, human services. I fought the, you know, gang activity in the county. Uh, I set a goal of ending homelessness, and we've reduced it by 47%, the best probably in the United States. Uh, and, uh, and we were voted the best managed county in the United States out of wow. over 3,000. Wow. So you can get things done, and I think that's the real bottom line. It's mm. problem solving. So you approach government in a more pragmatic, non-ideological way. Mm. Uh, you're kind of forced to when you're in local government. I think that's a good thing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. 
Um, so you said that you first were elected to Congress in 2009. So it's been almost a whole decade. How has your job specifically and Congress as a whole changed throughout the 10 years? Well, I was in the majority for the first two years, and I've been in the minority for the uh, ensuing seven and a half. Uh, and th- that's like night and day. Right. And then, of course, President Obama was the president for eight of those years. And now we have Mr. Trump. And that's also like night and day. So the challenges changed very dramatically. And uh, and so, uh, you know, I see my my role as uh, being in the loyal opposition uh, and uh, and frankly being part of the resistance, if you will, to the move toward more authoritarian kind of governance or style anyhow, uh, and to the regression that I think the Trump administration represents on the environment, on human services, on immigration, on uh, student issues. Uh, I I just see nothing but regression, and we have to fight that. So, And you've got to present an alternative platform so voters know there is an alternative that they they can embrace. And, uh, and that's our job in the minority in the Trump years uh, right now. I'm hoping that in November we become the majority again. Speaking about a certain policy platform of the current administration is DACA, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals Act. And this has been a huge platform for the Trump administration. Mason currently has more than 300 DACA students and actually just finished up Dream Week yesterday with the Mason's Dreamer Dinner, really recognizing the impact that they've had in our own communities. How do we protect the Dreamers from the current administration and what they're trying to do? Well, right now, as you know, thanks to some uh, positive court rulings, the Dreamers have some temporary protection, but living with that insecurity every day is a terrible thing. Uh, I've met with many, many Dreamers. I brought a Dreamer to the State of the Union address this year from Annandale, wonderful uh, young woman. I mean, uh, she volunteers to help mentor kids in elementary school having a tough time in school. She's a star athlete in Annandale High School. She's a scholar. She's performed well. She didn't even know she was a dreamer until she went to get her driver's permit at 16, Mm -hmm. and her parents had to tell her. She's never been back to her home country. She came here when she was one. She's an American. Mm -hmm. She wants to be an American. She is, you know, somebody would be proud to have and we want to keep her here. And, and there are hundreds of thousands of people like her. I've had dinner with dreamers from Asia, uh, every single one of whom was just a, a, a sterling human being. And somebody would be so proud to call an American. And that's who they think they are. Uh, and, uh, and so we, we have a, a moral obligation and I think a social obligation to fix this problem. Um, I decry the fact that President Trump rescinded President Obama's executive order protecting dreamers. It was Trump who caused this problem, and now he says we're supposed to fix it, and every time we try to, he backs away. Uh, And so uh, because his base doesn't want anything positive about immigration, and immigration is the lifeblood of America. I mean, it's going to keep us refreshed. It's going to provide workers for the future. Uh, It's going to provide social net for the future, and America's always been a place of hope and haven immigrants. I'm the grandson of an immigrant. Uh, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for uh, my grandmother emigrating from Ireland uh, to come to the United States. So uh, all of us have stories like that. And uh, thank God, uh, an overwhelming majority of Americans feel the same way.
So talking about dreamers and young adults and just younger demographics, we specifically on campus have seen a lot of civic engagement and activism, which we hope to see carry out through the midterms, which can be a lower voter turnout, especially for the younger generation. What is the best way for students at Mason to get involved in the process and make sure our voices are heard? Right the there? first thing I would say is register to vote and vote. Mm -hmm. That is your primary obligation, but it's also the way your voice is guaranteed to be heard. And let me take an example. So my office uh, a number of years ago figured out that we didn't have a precinct, a voting precinct here at George Mason. And so we championed that. We worked with the local board of supervisors and we created a voting precinct right here in George Mason to make it easier for students to register and vote right here on campus. And every year, the number of students voting has crept up. And uh, all of a sudden, politicians have taken note of that. And they got to come <laughs> yeah. to the campus and talk to you, right? Mm -hmm. They got to show respect because you're voters. And, uh, and so I urge as many George Mason students uh, as can to register and vote here. Uh, but if they prefer to vote back home, make sure they're registered, make sure they do their absentee voting because po some politicians are counting on, on, on college students not to vote. And that means they can dismiss you. They don't have to hear you on guns, on immigration, on the dreamers, on uh, student loan financing uh, because you're not gonna vote, so you don't matter. Mm -hmm. And we have to change that equation and we know we can. Uh, we almost doubled the youth vote in this last election here in Virginia in November, mm -hmm. uh, over four years before. And believe me, people notice that. Mm -hmm. uh, gee, maybe, maybe I can't just write them off. Right. And so uh, I think that's the single most important thing we can do, get people registered and make sure they cast that ballot. One issue that's really prominent in the headlines right now is March for Our Lives just occurring a couple weeks ago. And we saw the extent to which students can make an impact in that certain scene, just going out to marching, but also just lobbying to our legislatures. However, many bills have stalled or failed in Congress specifically. Can you tell us more about the climate in Congress? You know, I have always been a, a staunch advocate for reasonable gun control. Um, I, I want to reinstitute the assault weapons ban. I want to have universal background checks. I want to close the gun show loophole. I want to control, um, you know, how much ammunition uh, people can have and what kinds of ammunition they can have. We've had way too many tragedies here in the United States. Last year, we lost 33,000 people in this country to gun violence. Um, here, locally, we were affected. Uh, not so long ago with the Virginia Tech tragedy. 32 people mm -hmm. killed. Six of them were from Fairfax County. I was chairman of the county at that time. We mm -hmm. buried six young people, including the shooter. And, uh, and many of the relatives of those victims are still involved and very active in trying to fight the NRA, which is also headquartered, by the way, here in Fairfax County. And uh, uh, they're preaching madness. So we have the tragedy in Parkland High School, and I met with the high school students from Parkland mm. just before the march, which I also participated in and spoke at. And uh, you know, it bright, engaged, thoughtful, disciplined young people who want to make a difference after that tragedy. Mm. So they, they want to move beyond the trauma of the tragedy, which is hard enough, to, to do something meaningful. And uh, 
again, if we're registered to vote and we're voting, our voice is magnified on this issue. And young people are our hope in trying to turn around the power of the NRA and to try to uh, get politicians uh, out of the thrall of the NRA and its minions. And you know we've had some success already. So in Florida, where the tragedy occurred in Parkland, those young people and their teachers and family and, and supporters uh, really lobbied hard the Florida legislature and the Florida governor, Republican-controlled, staunchly opposed anything having to do with gun control. And yet we were able to get some gun control legislation this year, a few months ago, out of the Florida legislature. So it, it, it's not going to turn around the whole issue, mm-hmm. but it's, it's a beginning. And it showed what we can do with focused attention and a disciplined message. Uh, I've supported probably two dozen gun control bills since I've been in the Congress, none of which go anywhere because the NRA has frankly bought and paid for all too many members of Congress, members of state legislatures, local government, and we have to change that. So if you don't get with the program, we're going to vote you out of office. I think that's a fair proposition. I think that's one thing that Alexis and I really realized during the march, that these students are so disciplined and they're able to overcome their trauma in such a powerful way that they're able to harness that power into actual legislation, which we think is incredible. Absolutely. One issue that actually... I hope they don't mm -hmm. stop. I mean, I hope every succeeding, you know, high school senior class uh, across the country takes up this cause mm-hmm. uh, because that's how we're going to, we have to sustain this effort. It can't be a one-time thing. Right. It can't be just this group of high school students. Right. It's got to be something that's sustained county wi- uh, countrywide. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that will make a difference. It really will. It's really powerful to see change, at least slowly building now. Yeah. Right. So we've got one last question before we move on to some fun stuff and, uh, rapid fire round, if you would say. Uh, what change do you want to see f- come midterms, gearing up for November, and change do you want to see for this next session of Congress? I want to see the Democrats win the majority in November, especially in the House, because in the House, power is absolute. So if you're in the majority, you control everything. If we're in the majority, we control hearings. We control what witnesses come before hearings. We control what investigations Congress undertakes. We control subpoenas for uh, compelling uh, members of the cabinet to come before us like Mr. Pruitt and explain themselves. Right now, we don't have that power. And so uh, the majority in the House makes all the difference in holding uh, President Trump accountable and his cabinet accountable. Uh, and in providing a check and balance that is so sorely missing. What's so sad about this episode in our history is that the Republicans in the Congress have abrogated their responsibility, their constitutional responsibility, to provide oversight, even though it's a member of their own party in the White House. Congress is a separate but equal branch of government, and the founders expected it, irrespective of party, to provide that oversight. Republicans have completely uh, you know, given up on that. They're, they're missing an action. They see and hear and speak no evil when it comes to this president. And that is tragic, and it's wrong, and there's only one remedy. Replace them. Sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> so now we are going to go to the fun questions. Uh, so it's just really rapid fire, just answer in a sentence or two. Uh, first question, do you have any phobias? Snakes, spiders, 
cliffs. No, not really. Wow, a fearless I don't, man. I don't like <laughs> things that sting. Ooh, I don't okay. know if it's phobic, but I don't like bees and hornets and things like that. I think that's a natural. Yeah, and hornets and wasps are way worse than bees because they don't just die. Yeah. They'll just get more mad and sting you again. Yeah. Who is your role model? Wow. Um, I have a couple. Uh, certainly for my generation, Robert F. Kennedy was a role model along with Martin Luther King, and we just remembered Martin Luther King's assassination 50 years ago, and Robert Kennedy tragically died a few months later in 1968, and I remember that vividly. I was in college, I was very active in the anti-war movement, uh, and they were both really important figures, and when we lost them, it was really hard. And what we had to realize was, you can't count on heroes, you gotta do it yourself. Hmm. You know, um, and and you're gonna have to live with lots of disappointments, including tragic ones sometimes. Um, and I, I would say those two particularly, in, in terms of somebody with the ethic of getting something done, Teddy Roosevelt. Hmm. He's a controversial figure, but he certainly understood what it meant to be in the arena and getting things done. And uh, I I I loved his energy and his uh, his commitment uh, to getting things done when he was president. What has been your favorite memory or a memory that sticks out since being a congressman? I like uh, I like helping people. And uh, there was a man who came in my office who said, uh, you don't know me, but I'm benefiting from your homeless initiative. I'm back on my feet. I'm no longer drinking. I have an apartment finally. I'm no longer living in the woods. I've got my substance uh, addiction problems under control. My wow. daughter's going to come visit me for the first time in 10 years oh uh, because I have a place to welcome her for Christmas. And he said, your programs, when you were chairman, are what I benefited from. And that really was heartening uh, to know that you touched a life and you made a difference. Mm -hmm. And I think, and that's important for me and my staff to remember that you know this is about real people. Mm -hmm. Right. Wow. What is a guilty pleasure of yours? <laughs> a guilty pleasure? Yes. Chocolate. Ooh. What kind of chocolate? Yes. Milk chocolate and milk chocolate and white chocolate. Mm. Really? I'm not so much a fan of dark chocolate unless it's <sighs> mixed with caramel. Interesting. Uh, Do you have a favorite brand? I like Godiva. I like mm. Lint. Yes. Uh, oh, and I love C's. Oh my God. <laughs> Seize candy. Oh, my God. Keep it away from me. <laughs> Who is a congressman or congresswoman on the other side of the aisle you're good friends with? This might surprise you. I am good friends with Mark Meadows, who's the chairman of the Freedom Caucus, oh, wow. the right-wing caucus mm -hmm. in the Republican. We're good buddies. We work well together. He's the chairman of my subcommittee. Mm. I'm the ranking member. If we win the majority in November, we'll flip. Uh, but we've worked together on federal employee issues. We've worked together on metro issues. Uh, he's been uh, a friend and an ally often. Uh, and we respect each other. He's got a great sense of humor, uh, which really helps in my business. Uh, so you can establish personal relations, and it can make a difference. Mm -hmm. On the big stuff, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, but below that, mm -hmm. there's a lot we can find common ground on. Right. What is your favorite place to eat in the district or in Fairfax County or both? Wow. <laughs> Um, Heavy stuff. <laughs> we make fun of the fact that my favorite French restaurant is Roy Roger. Hmm. Roy Rogers. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, li we like that when we're out and about, if we're, uh, if we're near one. Um, 
there are so many wonderful restaurants. You know, my neighborhood Italian restaurant is Esposito's in Fairfax City mm. uh, for a really fancy uh, dinner. There's uh, L'Hermitage in uh, Occoquan, Ooh. which is a great restaurant. And then there's L'Auberge Francois in Great Falls, which, uh, uh, you know, I don't, I can't afford to eat at very often. <laughs> what I mean by that is like once every 10 years. But it's a, it's a great meal when you do have it. Mm. What job do you think you could be good at if you weren't in public service? Well, I spent 20 years in the private sector uh, and uh, working for two uh, technology research and development companies. Uh, and so, you know, I, I very much enjoyed working in the private sector. Uh, you can make a difference there, too. But uh, I think my calling right now is in the public sector. <laughs> do you know of any nicknames people have for you? I don't. <laughs> I'm not aware of any nickname. Well, maybe that's better. So last fun question. What <laughs> motivates you to get out of bed every morning? Especially, well, public service is a calling. To me, it's a noble calling. You can make more money doing something else. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a sacrifice because your family, you know, like yesterday, Sunday, I, I had a 12-hour day. I went to events during the course of 12 hours, and that's very common. Uh, and I've been doing that for 23 years. Uh, I really passionately believe in public service. I think you can make a difference. I know you can. And, uh, and so, uh, so long as that passion continues to you know, motivate me uh, every morning, uh, I'm going to stay in public service if the voters will have me. Uh, but I, I do believe very, import, uh, very uh, passionately that you need to have a sense of mission. You need to have a set of values. You need to always have a sense of humility that you're representing other people. Mm -hmm. So even if you're tired, push yourself because it's for them you're fighting. It's not just for yourself. Um, some people go into public life to be something. Others go into public life to do something. I'm in the latter category. I know who I am. I don't need to be called my, by my title. I'm not interested in perks. Um, I don't have a security detail. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, I don't live a fancy lifestyle, but I care a lot about what I do. And I think, frankly, right now, it's more important than ever. Going into our last two questions, Mason is a sizable population of Virginia 11, and there has been limited connection with Mason toward the government relations, aside from lobbying in the state level and local engagement. What is the best way for our community to work with you for change? You know, I, I'm teaching a course with Tom mm -hmm. Davis, my predecessor here at George Mason right. University. So uh, encouraging political figures to come and give lectures and make themselves available for even small groups of students who may want to, you know, pick their brain or, or be heard uh, is a good thing. I think Angel Cabrera, the president of the university, does a good job of reaching out and staying in touch with the political world mm -hmm. uh, at that level. Um, uh, you know, I, I talk to the George Mason Democrats uh, and, uh, and go to their events, uh, and they volunteer for my events and often for our campaigns. Uh, I try, you know, we have rallies here. Uh, I've been to many big rallies here at George Mason with uh, uh, presidential campaigns, including for President Obama, including for Hillary Clinton. Uh, I've even debated Ralph uh, Nader uh, here on this campus because I felt he cost us the election in 2000 by arguing there was no difference between the two parties. Does anyone seriously believe that there would not have been a difference 
between the, uh, the two choices we faced that year, I don't think we would have gone to war in Iraq. Um, in fact, I know we wouldn't have. Uh, we wouldn't have had you know, retrograde uh, members of the Supreme Court. Uh, and, uh, and frankly, uh, I think human rights would have been much greatly advanced, and certainly the commitment to the environment uh, would have been a staunch one. So uh, I think uh, Ralph Nader really sold a false narrative that really cost us dearly for eight long years in the George mm -hmm. W. Bush years. And I want to hold him accountable to that. And I was able to do that here in George Mason. <laughs> so one last question before you go. Um, you served at the local level and you just expressed that how important it is to get involved in that level and how it affects us on our day-to-day -day life. Um, how can we convey that importance of local elections to younger people and younger demographics, especially because their voting turnout is so much lower? Yeah. It, you know, it's ironic that local government generally, not just with young people, has the lowest, that election cycle has the lowest turnout. And yet that's the level of government that touches your lives most profoundly. Right. You know, zoning, planning, roads, jobs, schools, crime rate, all of that's local government. And, uh, and, and trying to persuade people in general and young people in particular how important that is and you need to get involved. And that's a great level to get involved, right? Many of us cut our teeth on local issues. And that's how we got started. And, uh, and so, you know, uh, Ella Grasso, who was the governor of uh, Connecticut, once had an expression. She used to say, bloom where you're planted. That, that means get involved. Wherever you're living, even if it's for a brief period of time, get involved. Uh, it's fun. It's rewarding. It can make a difference, especially at the local level. You can see the difference. Mm -hmm. Unlike my level where you have to wait a while and it's complicated. But at the local level, you can see whether that thing got built or not, uh, whether a cause, a policy you wanted adopted was, in fact, successful. And so... There can be great reward and satisfaction in doing that, and I think it's a great way to start. Uh, and I hope you know civic engagement and volunteerism become part of everybody's life. Once you start doing it, it's addictive, and it's a lifelong habit, and all of us benefit from that. Well, that's all we have for you. <laughs> well, thanks for, so much for having me. And, yes. Uh, Remember to register and vote. Absolutely. Yes. Primaries are coming up, but also the big November elections are coming up. Midterms are as important, if not more important, than the presidential election. So we need to make sure that all the students here vote. There's a precinct right at Merton Hall, uh, championed very well by Congressman Connolly. You can always get Panda Express right after you <laughs> vote. <laughs> but just make sure that you vote and make your voice be heard, because this is one of the best ways hmm. your voice is translated into action. And Absolutely. Eric says if you come out and vote this year, he'll make sure there's chocolate for everyone. Oh. Ooh. That's a heavy... Maybe Hershey's <laughs> not seized candy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But thank you again so much for joining us My and you're pleasure, welcome guys. back anytime. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much everyone for <laughs> listening to our interview with Jerry Connolly. We had a great time talking to him and we just had a great time interviewing Connolly in general. A great time. Thank you so much for listening throughout this whole broadcast. We appreciate it and hope to see you back next week. Bye.